Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host for this week, Len Hafer. Joined today by our friend, freelance writer, John Bolding. Howdy, everybody. And by 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. And we are here today to talk about Old World. It is a historical 4X game set in the ancient Mediterranean by uh, Civilization Four lead designer... Soren Johnson, uh, who is a, uh, I don't know, can we still call him a friend of the show? It seems like it's been a long time since he's been on here. Yeah, he was on uh, but, last year to talk about uh, the Sid Meier book. Oh, that's right. That's right. He was on that episode. Uh, yeah. So so 3MA, 3MA adjacent designer uh, Soren Johnson um, in Mohawk Games. Um, John, really quick, what what exactly is Old World to somebody who hasn't played it yet? And uh, how is it different from just like ancient civilization? Well, in many ways, Old World is just ancient civilization, but in a way that is much more interesting than you might initially assume based on that description, right? It's a it's a game. It's very much the modern hex based civilization building game. But it's got a much more narrow focus where it it really hones in on this period of state building and people building in the ancient Near East and Mediterranean. So the the factions are groups like the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks uh, by way of Macedon and the Egyptians and uh, the Romans, I guess, are the the most odd duck out in the group of them all. Uh, but right. no ancients game quite feels complete without Romans. But anyways, it's it's big hook uh, is that it is also character based. So you have to manage the court of your growing empire and your empire has leaders. Right. And you start with these historical leaders, but sort of very quickly go off the rails and get a bunch of weirdos that no one's heard of. <laughs> um, and you have marriages and interfactional relationships within your kingdom. Like there are multiple powerful families that make up your kingdom. Right. Even though there's a ruler, there's other people who are in charge of cities and you have to entrust these cities to these other families of people. And you can have relationships with other kingdoms, you know, do things like start marriages or make friends with the rulers. And in this way, it's it's very much a a twist, a novel twist on this style of game, the sort of very straightforward resource and income based type of civilization game that's that we've all gotten used to, right? Since Civ 5. And I think the most interesting part about it from a game design history standpoint is that um, this is an older school civilization game making designers take on what a modern civilization building game looks like. And specifically that this 4X genre of the Civ 5 like or Civ 6 like, if you will. Yeah, <clears throat> Troy, do you do you broadly agree with that, that it's it is kind of an, an ancient civilization game or did you... Uh... Did you have a different read on it at all? No, it pretty much, I mean, John's right. It really pretty much is Civ. Um, in, and it's a very old school Civ. It is a Civ that has, you know, workers that can do, that can live through the entire game and build things on the map. It is a Civ where uh, that does borrow some things from the modern Civs and that your workers are working on the map and building most of the structures there. You don't build a lot of structures in your city, you build ideas in your city. You'll build forum, archive. These are really structures. These are like societal improvements. So they have levels, one, two, three, four, five. Most of your construction by your workers happens on the map, as you would see in a contemporary Civ like Civ Six. Your workers will go around and they will build lumber mills and they will build hamlets and they will build uh, groceries and mines and, of course, wonders. Uh, but it very much is a very standard civilization. You do have wonders of the world. It is a worker and settler-based uh, game. It has a tech tree, uh, a tech tree where if you don't like the text, you can choose to, a semi-randomized tech tree, like an old-school Solaris, uh, where you'll get four picks of 
available sieves, available techs, and you can draw new ones if you don't like the ones that are popped up. Um, but generally you'll be picking, uh, like in a lot of sieves, you'll be picking the one you can get to the closest. Um, you have religions, which have become quite common in uh, the Civ games now. Uh, it has two really big differences. Now, one of the ones that uh, John touched on is it is character-based. You have courts, you have positions, you have governors, you have families you need to navigate, and sometimes the relationships have diplomatic or domestic relationships. Um, I don't advise... My first time playing through Old World... I didn't quite get how these worked because when it was an early access, a lot of the relationships weren't all that clear as how everything fit together. Uh, but now you really kind of ignore them at your peril. Uh, for example, you had, there's a dynastic struggle in a neighboring kingdom. You can suck up to the king, but that will press off the crown prince. Now, if the king's pretty old, Maybe you want to be nice to the crown prince and like piss off the king and take a chance he won't declare war because you want a friend for the next generation. Uh, the other big thing is that city, you, there really isn't freeform city placement. Cities are based, are built on kind of fixed locations, uh, urban areas scattered throughout the map. And you can call dibs on these locations, which I think is kind of cool. You'll plant a military unit in one of these urban areas, and you've kind of called dibs on it, and no one else can build there. So there's this rush in the early game to get your units spread out to grab these spots. Now, if you don't grab enough of them, you can attack barbarians. You have barbarian settlements, and these are generally sitting on settleable areas. So there's a rush to, do you want to go to war with the barbarians because they have these aren't like civ barbarians where they have like one little town these are coordinated uh, decentralized governments so but they're on a resource or a location you need because the assyrians have grabbed all the other city locations do you want to go to war now are you ready for that so that's really yeah, the idea of fixed locations if i can jump in yeah they're it's interesting because they're they are tribes right they yes. have their mm -hmm. own network and relationships with each other and a government and leaders but they're yeah, distributed right. as though they were sort of the Civ Barbarians. And I think there's there's kind of Civ Barbarian-ish units scattered around the map, but they very rarely survive that long. Yeah, there are, there are tribes and there are barbarians. And there's this whole really, it's not a whole lot in between, except for, as you said, the tribes have, you can have, you can have friendships with them. Um, right, But they right. never really evolve. But yeah, this really is very much a very, it's a very much a Civ game. And people who play Civ will be able to get into it. With the caveat, as I think we get into some of the strengths, that it is a game that really doesn't hit its stride until mid-game. Uh, where Civ, I think, kind of hooks you like from the very beginning, and I would argue the early Civ game is where Civ is at its strongest. Mm -hmm. uh, old World, the game really hits its stride in the mid-game. Uh, so pacing is a little bit different. And I really like that, because that seems like the part of 4X that nobody else can get like perfectly right you know like it seems like most of the other 4x games i've played in the last three or four years the mid game is like the weak point um uh and the fact that that mohawk has figured out how to sort of blow it open and make it a lot more of an interesting phase um i don't want to get off on too much of a tangent uh i i did want to mention how uh we're with barbarians and the tribes and stuff, and they have their own characters. You can actually like marry into their families and stuff. Did any of you figure out if you could actually eventually annex them? You can. Because I know you can. Civ uh, has that now, and humankind has that. Oh, so. interesting. Okay, yeah. So yeah. if you make good enough friends over a long enough period of time with a tribe, and then you get a your leader leaders. And characters have these classes, these archetypes, I think mm -hmm. is what they're called. And they are like builder, hero, zealot, diplomat, right. uh, those kinds of things. If you have a, a leader, as far as I can tell, this was the way I figured out how to do it, was if you have a leader who is a diplomat, you can create what's called a tribal alliance. Right, I got to that stage. Right, and uh, so the tribal yeah. alliance puts them. Did, did you successfully get one? I got, I got. It was, it was might have been called tribal peace, but I never, I never got to a point where I could actually absorb their city into. 
So yeah, if you get a, um, you can, you can get a tribal, uh, peace with them. And then that means that you're friends basically. And then once you get an alliance, um, they become, you can move their units and you can found your cities at their settlements. Okay. Um, and so, and then they will declare war against nations that declare war on you. And they're basically a, they become part of your nation in every way that really counts. Gotcha. Okay. It's really interesting because it's much more, it actually, I feel simulates that ancient era feeling where these two groups are extremely distinct from each other, but are effectively the same nation for every way that it sort of counts for international behaviors. Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense in the context of Rome, I think. Uh, yeah. And, sure. and especially very much in the like uh, the context of like Carthage and the Iberian mm-hmm. tribes is what it feels like to me or the Persian right. Empire and all its little satrapies. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about the fact that they will hardlock certain gameplay features behind leader archetypes. Um, like, part of me wants to say, oh, you should be able to do it at all times. But, you know, if you have a diplomat leader, maybe that makes it easier. That makes it cheaper. But then I'm also complaining all the time in other games about how, oh, everything you get is just like a plus 15 percent modifier. Why don't why don't they make, you know, traits that make it so it completely changes how you play the game? So I feel like I feel like I'm kind of at odds with myself a little bit here. Did, did either of you find that you liked or disliked the way that those leader traits can completely basically lock you out of playing the game in certain ways? I actually did dislike certain things about that, and it was more it was less that I disliked those things. And if I'm being honest, it was more that I found it insufficiently explained to me that like it it took till probably my like third attempt at playing Old World before I figured out, oh, to make friends with a try. It's not that I don't have a tech or something yet. It's literally that I need to try and raise my heir to be a diplomat. Right. And you can't guarantee Mm -hmm. that the ways you raise your heir It'll it'll always sort of shake out that you're going to get a couple choices, but you can't guarantee that you're going to get the one you want. And in that way, it has that Crusader Kings feel where even though it feels like a really directly competitive, discrete, resource based board game like competition that you can win, Mm -hmm. it still has a sort of roguelike or Crusader Kings element where it's like, yeah, sometimes you're going to get kind of screwed by the RNG like. Sometimes you get an insane heir and he just does wild shit all the time. Uh, yeah. Even though he's extremely good at murdering your enemies. Right. And you're like, well, I guess I guess it turns out we're doing war this run because we yeah. got this guy. Well, my, my first game is as uh, Macadon. Uh, Alexander was blinded in a in a military training exercise when he was like nine years old. Whoops. Which <laughs> prevents him from being a commander. Uh, so it was like, well, he's. Not going to be Alexander the Great. Maybe he can be Alexander the Prudent Administrator. Uh, <laughs> so Alexander the Great to, at spreadsheets. Right. He went on to be a very good ruler. It, he just wasn't a military leader. Uh, Troy, did you have any particularly interesting stories you ran into with uh, with this character system? I really didn't. I mean, it, hmm. it's I really nothing really leapt out at me beyond you know the usual stuff of uh, you, know, you want to make. Who do you make friends with? Maybe I approached it a bit too calculatingly, and maybe I'm just, uh, you know, too, you know, too uh, Crusader Kings out by uh, seeing <laughs> the kind of weird stuff you can see. The character interactions, they're they're fine and they're good and they 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 can be interesting, but they're not. There aren't as many great and interesting. A lot of the stuff is going to be pick a career, pick a wife. Pick a bonus. Um, and yeah, I mean, lots of the Crusader Kings comes down to that as well. But the storytelling isn't as tight. So it feels a lot more like you are picking a box. 
more than following characters. Now, part of it is because there's a lot going on in this game. I, I really, I, I only over the last week have I really gotten into just how much is going on. And part of it is because the game doesn't explain itself very well. As you said, John, you know, what, what certain traits, what actions are available to certain character types and what are not. For example, um, the... It took me a long time to figure out what, what's a strong city versus a developing city. What is right? Absolutely. We, like, what is culture and how does it work? Where do where, yeah. where do religions come from? And uh-huh. what what are the advantages for joining another religion? Like, why would I want to convert to Judaism? Is it is something better than Roman paganism? Is there a reason why I might or might not? Um, what? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff is cut kind of as a locked behind thing but I'm just locked behind the tech tree like you'll pick an ambition to do a thing like uh, you want luxuries one of your ambitions is to give luxuries to your families but a lot of the luxuries are stuck behind a tech three rows down before you can get to mm-hmm. land consolidation and get growth so you end up wasting this uh, ambition that your god that your character has they get a bonus for filling ambitions there's yeah. little mini little mini quests so you pick one oh i'll give luxuries that's easy but then you find out oh i can't really deal with these luxuries until f- like five texts down the road and so why why is that ambition even made available to me if all i've got are i can't harvest i can't deal with elef- elephants yet i can't have elephant trappers <laughs> i can't have uh lavender groves or honey groves all i can do is mine salt so unless they if that, unless they want a whole lot of salt, um, I can't do the luxury thing. So there's this things aren't explained always real well as to the types of things you will need going forward. Now a lot of this becomes clear through multiple playthroughs, and that's, right. you know, I could argue that well, when I play a new card playing Civilization, might not know how to do these things either, and that is certainly fair. And we have to be honest that we're coming at this game. I'm coming at this game with like 2,500 hours and like Civ 6 and probably like 4,000 in Civ 5 <laughs> and 6,000 yeah, yeah. in Civ 4. I mean, for a long time, Civ was the historical 4X game in town. That was your 4X Empire build. It was Civ. Now, this year we get Old World, which was an early access for a while and changed a lot through early access. I mean, this game grew a lot uh, in quality and sophistication and interface. Uh, through uh, uh, early access. And then we have Humankind coming out next month, uh, which is an entirely different ball of wax. Um, mm-hmm. But coming at this from like the Civ perspective, which almost everybody coming at it will, there is this... Sometimes just, you know the information's there somewhere. And you know, for all the things you could say about Civ 4 or Offworld uh, Trading Company, they did not have bad interfaces. They were both like, and not that this was a bad one, but that the information you need uh, isn't always clear as to why you want to get there. Now, uh, although, at least I found, I found like, the, a lot of the, the family stuff. Uh, like, uh, you have to appoint governors. Oh, I need to get strongholds for that. Where do I build my strongholds? So you have to build, have to find strongholds. And your ambitions, yeah. six governors. And then you find you need strongholds and garrisons to do that. But you don't have you know, enough stone to do that yet because you don't have you, you don't have enough population to build a whole lot of stone cutters because just put all your civics people into farmers. I feel like it's thing. that the yep. game is every single piece of information for the entire game is immediately available. And it sort of feels like if Civ it's not it's not quite the same comparison, but like it will happily give you goals you absolutely cannot fulfill. Yeah. And mm-hmm. once it does that, it everything you can see at the very beginning, all these tooltips, the tooltips are really information dense and they they nest in a yeah. intuitive yeah. way. Yeah. But they will include necessary information near the end of the game. Right. So like it will tell you to that you could do stuff or that you would need to do stuff that you're 60 turns away from being able to think about doing right there in the beginning and even in the middle mid game it'll still be telling you to do this stuff and it's a little bit like if civ you know you right clicked on your leader 
and they were like, you could form the United Nations. And it's like 200 BC in Civ, you know, it's like 300 turns away and you're like, oh, I could form the United Nations. Wait, why can't I do it? Right. It's not that the the interface is bad. It's it's good, but often anachronistic. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't like the UI that much. I I might. I don't know if I would say that it's bad. Um, I think it was very text heavy and I think it was very cramped. Like with the character stuff, I kept just being like, can you please just give me a character sheet like in Crusader Kings? Like, let's I think we could organize the same amount of information a little bit better if we weren't so scared to take up more of the screen. Absolutely. Um, Also, like, yeah, the, the big one for me that like I laughed when I figured it out is I took I took a law. So there's these A, B choices you have between, you know, like freedom and slavery and like, uh, how are we going to organize like our coinage and stuff like that? One of them is like rule of law versus divine right. And I picked divine right because it, it lets you keep your, your pagan religion as your state religion, instead of having to like convert to Zoroastrianism or whatever. What it never told me is that there is a button you have to click to create a state religion out of your pagan religion. And I played for like a hundred turns without realizing that. Okay. So so I had given up on this other choice of a law that I could have picked up that was pretty powerful because I was like, yeah, I don't know what a state religion is, but that sounds good. Um, And then I didn't know you had to click a button to be like, this is now our state religion. Um, Yeah, it's, it's a lot of text. They have added some more icons in since like the preview build, which I like. There's a little icon I can hover over uh, that kind of keeps some of that information compartmentalized. That's always cool. Um, it is very like it looks very clean. Um, I'll give it that. But I yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the interface. I wish they would use more screen real estate to make it not such a a text blob. Um, it, is, it is one of those ways that it kind of harkens back to older 4X games. The fact that they'll call it, you know, Treasury 2, Treasury 3 instead of like, I don't know, improved Treasury, Grand Treasury. It's like, no, we're just going to stick a number on the end there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't a hugest, I, the hugest fan of the interface, um, but it looks nice. So. The other thing that uh, that is is sort of a major difference from any passive game that I've played is that in addition to all of these physical resources on the map and then these you know the typical like technology and civics and stuff like that um old world introduces the concept of orders uh which i found very interesting especially if you do get beaten to those early city sites uh, by someone else um you can kind of build this very administration heavy tall realm that can punch above its weight because you have these orders that your entire sieve only gets so many per turn, so you might not be able to move your entire military and, and attack with them at the greatest extent of their movement range on every turn, and uh, even stuff like uh, giving your, your counselors missions. There is sort of like a small council, kind of like Crusader Kings. That also costs orders. Um, let's Let's go to John. Did you feel like this was, uh, was it an enhancement overall? Did you, do you like this system? It felt it felt like a double edged sword in that I thought it was cool that I had these characters who I could relate to and have an idea of what what kind of people they were and what they were going to do. And I liked that they had stats and the stats influenced what they did. Right. So some mm-hmm. of the, you know, ambassador candidates, you know, if they're more courageous warriors, they give you a much higher opinion with uh allied or with other with the tribes right or if they're wiser and they know more things they have a higher opinion with the uh foreign city states right and i really liked that uh aspect of it the the problem with it overall was that it doesn't like with many other things while you are still learning the game it's not clear like okay i can appoint an ambassador but why would i what does that mean why would i do that what kind of bonus is that going to give me um, and it's it's interesting because these people become the little these little building blocks in the same way where in Civ, you're like, well, you know, plus plus one culture or whatever isn't isn't that important. But once you build a plus one culture building in all 20 of your cities, it's very important. Right. 
the ambassadors and stuff really have that sort of aspect to me where, yeah, I, I'm going to need the ambassador that's really good at whatever the little heart icon is. So I'm getting lots of extra civics to spend <laughs> on sending out this ambassador to do stuff that I need done. Does that make sense? Uh, it's it's that yeah. it's that the. They're not quite people in many ways, other than that, sometimes you can get an event or something like that that pisses them off and then they become bad at their job and you need to find a replacement, right? Like you can you, you can have an amazing uh, chancellor and then it turns out you're like, well, yeah, chancellor, you're cool, but your poetry is shit, right? In some event that comes up, the chancellor's <laughs> like, well, fine, I'm not going to do my job very well anymore. And suddenly you've lost these cool benefits that you had before. And so you need to sort of shuffle and maybe find someone new to be chancellor. Uh, and I like that stuff. I, I think that experience is fun and surprising is that you can get cool bonuses and then you can lose cool bonuses. To go back to the, to the order system, you mentioned, Len, I really liked mm -hmm. it. I really, really liked it. Um, and you really feel its power when you're at, it's something you don't might not notice. Like I said, the early game, if you can get past the early game, which might turn a lot of people off, there's not a whole lot going on. And you start fighting a war in a mid-sized empire. And you mm -hmm. build a good-sized army. And you find you can't get them all to the front because you've been neglecting your administration. So you have this huge army, but they all can't get there, at least not quickly. Uh, or they, they can't retreat, even, uh, to safe space to heal because you've run out of orders. You spent them all moving other troops forward or building roads or doing this other stuff. So not having the orders, or you end up conserving, you end up having like, this is a war status. And in war times, nobody builds roads, nobody does anything It has to do with order because everything has to go to the front. So you have to, is it going to be unified? You're going to do a rush? You're going to spend all of your orders sending your chariots forward because they can go very fast and very far. You want to do it in a step by step, stage by stage, where the archer is going to be. It becomes strategic and tactical in a way that a lot of forex games really aren't, because uh, you build quite large armies compared to like civilization, which is a natural comparison. In Civ, you don't have to build a really large army most of the time, um, mm -hmm. and they even have ways for you to like combine units to build. Here's a core and here's an army because we don't want you to clutter up the map with units to get in the way of our art. Here, even though it's sometimes hard to tell all the units apart, like uh, I find the workers, slingers, and uh, scouts, their icons are a bit too similar for me sometimes to keep clear, especially slingers and scouts from a distance. Um, there's, but you have a lot of units. You can easily build an army if you can afford it. Like. 20, 30 units and rush them forward and build and have your enemies building militia and they're doing end runs and circuits and it's how, where can you get your troops to? And this is where the order system comes in. And I really, really do enjoy that bumping up against that limit. And this is one of those things, like John said, like they'll tell you at the very beginning, almost one of the first things they tell you in the tutorial is, oh, you have orders and you can't move your units all that far. And they tell you this when you have one worker and two scouts. Right. And yeah. it's like, yeah. okay, great. I'm going to run out of orders. Uh, my scouts are running. I'm, this isn't going to be a problem. I'm just exploring the next, just around the river bend. So thanks, uh -huh. guys. Uh, and you don't really bump into how important this is until you are dealing with a, an, an army. And yeah, if you, have, mm -hmm. if you have an order advantage over a larger opponent, they might have more troops than you to a larger army and more cities, but they might not be able to get them all to you because they're off fighting on the other side of the map. Uh, so you can mm -hmm. you can build a local advantage uh, through good use of the order system um, and just the number of steps you have. And increasing that limit to your administrative and civic development is just so crucial. And I really, really think that's a great, great tool. Um, and they do it not through... like. Other games have this, like, you could only move so many units, so many spaces sort of thing. Um, you see it in small tactical games sometimes. 
putting out an empire level 4x type thing mm-hmm. is really really clever and i find that system works very well for providing interesting things to think about in a war yeah and this is this is a very good tactics game i feel like like I, yeah. that's that's a that's something that i don't know that we look at as closely so much with 4x but this is it's a very elegant little tactics game because of the order system. Also, just because like every unit has a niche and crucially to me, because this drives me nuts, how complicated all of these edge cases and like bonuses and sub modifiers are getting in like Civilization six, especially I can tell you what every single unit in Old World does in like one sentence and it's why like, you would Cal- build it. Right, like Spearman gives zone of control against mounted units and they can attack two tiles in line. Cavalry get to attack again if they kill their first target. Um, there are some units that, that attack in like a four hex. They call it a circle. It's not really a circle. Um, archers are self-explanatory. I feel like I could put together some really good, really tight tactical turns where I can take four or five units and do just a hugely disproportionate amount of damage as long as I have the orders for it um, by kind of thinking it through in this sort of chessboard way. Whereas in in Civ these days, I just feel like I'm just throwing everything at the front. Like, <laughs> that's, that's more or less my strategy uh, when I'm fighting a big war in Civ now. No, I don't. I, I think you're absolutely right. And to me, it's that... I don't think I've enjoyed a 4X. I said this, I think, in in chatting before this show, but I don't think I've enjoyed a 4X as much since Endless Legend. And part of that is because. Full transparency, I've lost every single game of Old World I've ever played. (laughs) Uh, And it's because the AI both knows how to fight you and will. They will declare war on you happily when they realize that like yeah our militaries are about as strong and it looks like most of that guy's military is on the other side of his empire so let's take some cities right it it seems like it's pretty good at it and i really really enjoy that i like losing to the ai it's really rare so i enjoy it when it comes up i guess right and that that sort of delightful experience really endeared old world to me where i was like oh i'm you know, I'm having a really interesting tactical battle here. This feels like a good little war game that I'm playing. And because of the orders system and having to get all my units as mobile and, and moving as possible, I'm having to n- neglect my empire in order to fight the war, which I don't know that I've ever played another 4X that simulates that in any way. And they'll they'll go for the strategic win, too. Like they seem to know when it's like, OK, this isn't a good tactical situation. Uh, we should probably you know pull back and wait for reinforcements. Like, yeah, it's 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 miles ahead of the Civ 6 military AI, uh, it feels like. And that could just be because, you know, computers are better at <laughs> dealing with these kind of simpler unit modifiers or something. Um but uh, yeah, I definitely have to give my hats off to the the, the AI people at, at Mohawk. Like, I think I started on the difficulty that's like it's like two notches above standard or whatever, because I was like, yeah, I'm not going to play on default difficulty. I have hundreds of hours in, in every Civ game. This is and then it's like Greece has declared war on you. Assyria has declared war on you. The Nomidians are raiding your settlements like, yeah, there's there's a lot of. There's a lot of pressure on you if you don't build up quickly and if they 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 smell blood in the water. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did, you, did you find that to be the case, Troy? You need to have an army. And this is not a game yeah. where you can play the Pacific Kumbaya type of game. And you need to have an army, at least as a deterrent, but also to, you know, claim barbarian lands and to protect yourself, because the AI is aggressive. I also have not won a game yet. Um, I would probably like it more if I knew why I didn't win. (laughs) It's not always quite clear. You know, I mean, I know that wonders are worth two points, and because there's a certain point level uh, to get a strategic win. I mean, the whole, why isn't my city developing? What do I do to move it up to the strong category? Um, Culture. 
Yeah, I mean that's it's culture. Culture, yeah. something that don't get you don't really get to improve a whole lot until later, unless you build you build little, odions and theaters, little ionic and columns. Yeah. So how many ionic columns do we have? Yeah, so, a few, so, a few wonders. thousand. Uh, and it's it's so, but I yeah, it, it, it is not. It is a game where the default difficulty is, which is well, just I guess, because it's just hard enough for me to lose all the time. I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, it would be nice if I had a, a clear ideas of why the AI was so further ahead of me, because you about the maps are the default map is quite small. The default media map is quite small. It is a flat map. It is bounded. It isn't a globe like Civ. You can't circuit mm-hmm. around. Uh, so there are there are borders <coughs> to go through. Um, there were the map generator can sometimes be very interesting, and sometimes it can be like downright wrong. Like I generated, yeah, I generated a map where I was playing Carthage, and I was on a continent, and my northern I was so about a peninsula. Great, that means I I can protect myself. No one can get at me from the sea for a while. That's great. Except the top north of the peninsula was a mountain range. So I couldn't get off the peninsula. Couldn't have boats yet. <laughs> I couldn't settle anything or explore anything because there were mountains. Um, so I was kind of stuck uh, until I had until I could discover boats. And then I had to figure, okay, how do I how do I use boats? How what does anchor mean? Okay, I can anchor and go yeah. to the next thing over, to, but I can't load the unit. How does this work? Yeah, it's weird. Like they create a zone of control that you can walk across, and you have to like chain boats. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to move multiple tiles. Yeah, took me forever to figure that out. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so sometimes the map can be, you know, kind of cruel. I mean, here's uh, here's a lot of scrubland. There's not a lot of forest for you. You get nothing but mm-hmm. nothing but scrub and mountains, and. You know, a little bit of I don't mind a hostile map. Some of my favorite Civ games are Welcome to Tundra, Brazil. Uh, yeah, and it's like <laughs> you know, some they, they bias they bias towards rainforest, but sometimes the map generator is just kind of screwy. Um, so I, I but, but if I could, but because the AI is sometimes scattered across this map, you can't always see what they're doing, so you don't know how they're succeeding like why are they better than you why is why does Assyria have this big boost over you what are they doing right um so you can't like check their cities out you can't watch them you can't really scout them out you don't get espionage until way way down the line uh tech wise so it's hard to get a feel for what you're supposed to be doing uh which i think helps the ai in a sense um because it is aggressive. It is, it will prey on your weakness. Um, and this is where the character stuff comes into play. When you are playing a weak hand and you do need to start sucking up, you do need to, yes, the Egyptian prince is a jackass, but he's a good enough diplomatic marriage for your daughter. Um, I'm really not that keen on Zoroastrianism, but hey, Egypt, <laughs> if you say it's good, that's good with me. Let's all be Zoroastrian. <laughs> um, you start making these plays out of weakness just to buy yourself time as you try to catch up. Something you see in the very best uh, uh, grand strategy games. And sometimes I just wish I had a better idea what I was doing uh, without having to just play through it. The more you play through, the more you understand. And that way it's a very old school, like 1990s, type game like what was that uh what was that a post-apocalyptic war game 4x we did the show on a few a uh, shadow empire yeah it's a lot yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like shadow empire in that you're like, oh that's how that works um mm-hmm. and some but you kind of get that understand why shadow empire would be like that because that looks like something that fell through a time hole uh uh-huh. <laughs> this this looks like this looks like a very modern uh strategy game it is a very modern strategy game but a lot of the learning is uh trial and error it is oh shit that's what i forgot to do oh i need to get to uh i need to get the spears because they they're rushing the chariots oh oh axemen yes those might be nice to have axes are good which is which is a very civ 4 thing right the axe rushing to axemen is a very civ 4 thing 
So, yeah. so congrats <laughs> to Soren Johnson for bringing that back. Oh, man. wow. That's hysterical. It's yeah, true, though, right? Can, yeah, well, no, it's completely cl- true. Cleave. It's very strong. And yeah. just like in Civ 4, you want to get that axe yeah. as soon as possible. I, I did eventually, I was eventually able to win on like my fourth game, I think, um, after learning a lot of a lot of these little things that I was like, oh, OK, I can do that. Oh, so that's how that works. And it is mostly if you're going for the score victory, it is mostly wonders and then like how developed your cities are, which is mostly by just spamming culture buildings yeah. is how you do that. Um, but then there's there's also like a there's like a quest victory yeah. or if you complete. 10 of these ambitions you win i never i yeah. never even really got even close to that no. um oh that's interesting that little... the only way i almost ever won was by fulfilling ambitions yeah i wish there was a little bit more diversity in the win conditions honestly but i do feel like it's it is more of a civ 4 old school like it's it's about the journey more than the destination type of game so it didn't bug me that much that the victory conditions were kind of underwhelming, but it, it felt like there there should be more there, I think. I, I do appreciate um, that you can buy resources. Yeah, I mean, and that's where it reminded me of Old World Trading Company, because you could just mass buy and sell anything anytime you want. It is so yeah. crucial for things like wonders, because you yeah. want to be building early wonders, and there just is not enough rock in the ground for you to build the pyramids. Um, because mm-hmm. you need to build quarries and you won't have a whole lot of war- workers to start necessarily. And you have to build stone cutters and you get a whole lot of cities. You're not going to have a steady income in a lot of resources. Um, wood is strangely very scarce to begin with, unless you start like clearing forests, uh, because lumber mills, which is are, the again, right call quite, quite far. Yeah. Down. But you really need that wood to build archers. And you need stone to build wonders. So yeah, you'll be wood, bu- wood is literally worth more than gold in the early game. So you'll end up buying a lot of wood and a lot of stone. And stone especially for the wonders to get to. Now they have nice little bonuses here and there, but they're really not they're not like wonders in Civ, where, oh, this is a game-breaking thing. This is really gonna change the course of history right here, because I got my workers have an extra charge or something. You don't get that sort of stuff. I mean, you do get free things through text sometimes, but the wonders are pretty much, they're, they're a scorekeeping thing. I like them uh, more than anything else, which is fine, but you're going to need a lot of stone. So being able to buy resources and be, oh, I'm going to focus on gold or this, I'm, I'm going to do a whole lot of mining, then I'm going to sell the iron, uh, and then I'm going to use the iron to use the money I got from selling the iron to build buy stone or wood. You can build this whole economic relationship and the prices of the goods are right there underneath them. This is kind of a market economy, I guess. Um, and that's kind of an undervalued little tool there. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's really, really handy. Yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, angst about how this works from veteran Civ players and I'm like, oh you you didn't play off world trading company, did you? Because <laughs> to me it was very intuitive. It's like, yeah, the last their last game, it was all about this. And yeah, just hitting shift click or control click to buy and sell resources as I need them felt very natural. Um it felt good too, um, right? Like yeah. It, I think the Civ games specifically have always had this love-hate relationship with being able to spend gold to buy things. Like in Civ 5 mm-hmm. it ended up being the whole game. Right. Like that was how yeah. you won a game of Civ five was by having more gold than the other people. Whereas here it feels like it's reached a nice equilibrium where like, yeah, you can have a ton of gold. But if all you're doing is spending it on resources, you're not actually getting very much out of it in the end. You should be spending it on lavish gifts for neighboring nobility to keep them from being jackasses. But the good thing is that gold is kind of the easiest thing to get. Right. It is. Through, you know, t- sometimes you'll end up into a bit of a, a, a pinch, but through, you know, having uh, commerce people in your court or building hamlets, and you'd be wanting to build hamlets anyway, um, mm-hmm. selling the extra resources you have. In the early game, gold is, you know, kind of, it, it really is just there for you to buy the resources. Um, Which is I, nice. It lets you it decide, is, like, oh, hey, I want to spend my early gold on stone because I want to try and get a wonder built or. I'm going to spend my early gold on on wood because I'm going to focus on getting some spearmen out because I want to have an early war. I like that 
I'm able to uh, in a game where I can't control certain things, it gives me a lot of control over one thing, which is very satisfying. Yeah, and that's why it's good that the wonders aren't, you know, game breaking. Ooh, it's a wonder. That's all these magical things because you can build them by just, oh, I'm the first person to buy 600 stone and I'm going to start it. They are scorekeeping tools. Um, so it's good they have little minor bonuses here and there. So it isn't so it isn't unbalanced. It's not, you know, you are spending gold and spending time and spending a worker to invest in these like two victory points, which could decide the game, but not as much as the culture will for building your strong and developing cities. But it can prove to be advantageous here. And it's good for, sometimes they'll get an ambition to build one. Um, so it, so having the goal, which is, which, I mean, at certain times in the game, you're always going to be missing one of the resources. Like wood is going to be a big one. Sometimes iron, yeah. if you're in a, a, a flat space, you might go nuts just spending money and you have and end up in a hole. I was running a deficit of like 70 gold for a minute. There's, oh, this isn't good. This is, there's no way this is sustainable. Um, <laughs> So I ended up having to like do some diplomatic stuff and focus on Hamlet to get that going again. So eventually you're already missing resources, probably once again, until the mid-game, when there's kind of an equilibrium. That's when you start missing things. You'll you'll be missing orders. You'll be missing characters who haven't lost their goddamn mind. You'll be missing all of these <laughs> other Tell things. me about it. Uh, but in the early game, the resource scarcity, it is a pinch but it's not a pinch you can't get out of, which I think is an important right. distinction. Well, and one of the interesting things they've done in the early game, that's it's a very proactive solution to this that kind of attacks one of these little irritations that has been around in this style of Forex game for a long time, is that you can actually send your scouts out to do like a one-time harvest yep. on resources. Oh, I love I this part of the game. I love I it. I like it too. Like it... it it solves to it's it's a very two birds with one stone, you know, design because it, it solves the issue of your scouts not having enough to do. And it also lets you kind of go hunt down the specific resources you need in the early game. I, I liked it a lot. And, and yeah, and, it, and it's it isn't, fun. It isn't, it isn't one time. The resources recover. Right. Over time. Right. You, you can you can clear the land to get like an even bigger oh, yeah. bonus. But if you just leave it alone, yeah, like forests will eventually regrow and, and it's, stuff. It's very appropriate to sort of the ancient world where it's like, okay, we here in in Persia have sent uh, we've sent all these people north to explore the plains over time. Right. As our civilization expands, it turns out they have horses up there, which rules. Right. It's the sorts of it, it feels like a natural getting a benefit from the exploration of the world at this point in history where you are finding resources and also meeting other cultures and sharing technology and learning from them. And I like that bit of flavor and it also just alleviates the sheer boredom of being like i guess i'll click my scout to move here i guess i'll click my scout to move here you're like okay i'm gonna cut down around those hills to grab some horses and then i'm gonna jump up on the hills to get that vision bonus and unveil more territory it it feels like i am doing something there instead of just mindlessly clicking which is always a plus Especially since it's, 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 you can't you can't automate your scouts until again right. very far down the tech tree, uh, you can automate your scouts and which is something yet at the very beginning of Civ they want you to pay attention to where your scouts are going what they're doing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so. even then, automating your scouts in a game with limited orders doesn't always feel like a great plan. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Good point. And it's 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 making proactive strategic decisions like the, the, the tribal village in Civ is like a loot box. Like you don't know what you're going to get from it. You're like, OK, it's I'm going to walk on that and something good is going to happen. And then I'm going to have to figure out what to do with it. It's like, oh, it's an extra spearman. OK, maybe I'll start shifting towards building up towards an early war or something. But the way this works, it's like, yeah, I can use my scouts every turn to build up toward a deliberate strategy that I have decided on ahead of time, which I like a lot better than the kind of just like walk over here and get a random bonus thing that uh, that you get in, in a lot of other 4X games. Yeah, um, and I like the events that'll pop up as you explore as well, right? Um, they'll be like, OK, so we, we found this old ruin in the woods and it mm-hmm. looks like it belongs to this other neighboring culture at some point in the past or 
man, all this architecture looks a lot like ours. Maybe our ancestors lived here. And it gives the sense, the excellent sense that there's always more to be found and that, yeah, this might be a game about you building civilization, but guess what, sucker? Other people have built a civilization before you. Yeah, I I, I think the events, like, they're not as in-depth as what you might see in, like, a Paradox game with, like, a bunch of, like, sub-triggers that can cause a bunch of other stuff to happen. There are a couple like that. But I found that in general, they're they're pretty well written. They're written in such a way that it made me feel like they're placing me in the mindset of people who would have been alive at this time, which is sometimes difficult to do. And also the options for the events seemed very well balanced. Like there weren't a lot of events where I felt like, oh, there's just clearly one correct answer here. Like it was it was usually I had to think about it for a minute. Yeah, very rarely an obvious or best choice. Right, right. Exactly. Um, so the other thing I kind of wanted to make sure that, that, uh, that we got around to, um, is, so this is a, this is a 4X game from, you know, the lead designer of Civ 4. It clearly has a lot of civilization DNA in, in its, in its bloodstream. Um, but it is focused on a much smaller period of history. It's actually, it's a little bit unclear to me, maybe exactly what era it's supposed to be covering like you can build the Hagia Sophia eventually so I guess it's antiquity might be the best yeah <laughs> term to describe what it's what it's trying to yeah, go yeah because I like, think I think the Hagia Sophia is like one of the most complex wonders in the game right right yeah it's it's like late game yeah so um you don't quite have that feeling of the march through history and of your your society completely transforming from, you know, a, a couple of tribal villages all the way up to like, you know, bombers and, you know, death robots and stuff like that. Uh, I'm curious, Troy, do you do you feel like you missed that at all? Or do you like this kind of smaller, more um, focused experience? This is, just, oh, oh, oh. this is a very vague and general ancient setting. Olden days. Olden days is the best way to put it, I think. <laughs> this is a game about the olden days. Uh, Back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Back, you know, before stories were written sort of thing. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. intentionally vague. Um, and I don't miss the modern stuff. And I think that, you know, it's fine to have uh, grand strategy games, uh, grand strategy 4X games that are just about a specific period in time. Um, I find the modern stuff often less interesting. Uh, personally, I find it less interesting. less interesting part of history. Often it, the transition isn't as marked beyond the weapons get stronger and that's what makes them different and that's what distinguishes a late game traditional you know civ type 4x and probably humankind from this game is the weapons just keep getting stronger and that's kind of it you know you very rarely do you have a sense that the time and place and culture have changed substantially because um, that's not what these games are, are really about. These are games that are about building a very abstracted type of world. Um, so it's just if you choose your start and end date as you know, eight hundred BC to you know twelve hundred or whatever uh, time they they choose, that's fine. I mean, I, it, I, if you really, really want to have tanks and machine guns, this isn't the game for you. I do find it interesting that we don't have a whole lot. I mean, we, it's not like we have... Because the opposite's kind of inconceivable, right? I mean, except for, you know, oh, we're doing an Alpha Centauri or a Beyond Earth. Future people show up in a future place and do future things. You can't have a 4X type game that starts with gunpowder, right? It just feels wrong. It feels wrong yeah. to start in a Terranolius new civilization on Earth with Earth things, but you've got gunpowder. I mean, it's why Age things. of Empires 3 just sort of feels off as a game. Yeah, it, it just does not... F- I mean, I, I like Age of Empires 3. But I'm, I, but I, 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 I like plenty of things about Age of Empires 3. <laughs> it's just, it has these sort of deep flaws, and one of them is that it just doesn't feel quite right as you're playing it. I can get away with, the, with, a, with a, an RTS for like a number of reasons, 
it's the history of the RTS, but it's like inconceivable to have a 4X game that starts it starts in the Renaissance and continues until the modern day. Because it's like, where did this blank land come from in Italy? There wasn't blank land in the Renaissance. Right, right. Even though we don't have that problem with, you know, I mean, Roland has this problem with, with city builders. You know, we found all this virgin land to build a modern Soviet city in. Um, so I, the fact that this is just limited to ancient, I think is fine. It, it's strong. It keeps the theme coherent. Um you don't have to have, I mean, I think the, the types of victory conditions are perfect. I think they're thematic. I think it's, you succeed, it's, you have uh, ambitions, you fill all these quests. Oh, you're a civilization that's set up to do what it had to do. You've uh, had built all these strong cities. They're a glorious civilization who built a ton of wonders. You get a conquest, so congratulations. You're Augustus, you're Genghis Khan, you're Cyrus. All the victory conditions are thematically tied to the setting. Uh, so everything, Perfectly works fine with me. I do not miss gunpowder at all. I have to, yeah, I completely agree. I just think that the the most interesting part of Civ in the first place and most civilization building 4X games is right up until the edge of the medieval period. So, you know, why why would I not want it to keep being that? Yeah, well, and I just love the fact that it, it, it keeps it on on kind of a more intimate feeling like it takes place within the lifetime of it seems like usually around five to six rulers is what i end up getting i've only actually played all the way to the term 200 like once but um yeah it, like the fact that these big sweeping historical 4x games can kind of lose the plot a little bit because you don't have i mean you'll have like i don't know nikola tesla will show up on the map and then i I throw him onto a pyre to research electricity or something <laughs> like that. Like, and, and, you know, there's not much of a human element other than these like immortal godlike animated characters that talk to each other and, and have these beefs that last for hundreds of years. It's really more like a, a war of between gods than it is anything resembling historical rulers. Um, and I like that a lot. I like, you know, I, I like, games as some of you may know that uh talk about the people involved in the history and not just the the broader themes of history uh on, on a more abstract level so i really like that so it seems like we've had at least in this show we've had a lot more good to say than the negative about uh old world uh john is that kind of where you're at how are you feeling overall about it i think that's true i think that it uh was a refreshing game for me and I was surprised that I could care about it. Like, I haven't really loved a 4X for quite a while. I think earlier in the show, I said sort of since Endless Legend, which was like nine years ago at this point. And so I was really happy to get to spend time with a 4X again that I really enjoyed. And I was also able to contrast it because my my spouse uh, entirely sort of just casually bought and started playing Civ 6 uh, on the Switch. And so I've watched someone learn a 4X recently and contrasting that against learning and playing this, I realized that the depth and sort of surprises available here were something I found much more enjoyable than the very predictable gameplay of a more traditional civilization building 4X and I'll be really interested to see because I've not played any humankind. I've deliberately stayed away from their sort of open playtests and stuff. I'm really interested to see how I feel about humankind when that comes out in a while, or if it'll just make me want to play old world when I get that 4X itch. <laughs> Troy, what about you? Where are you overall on old world? I mostly like it. I mean, it's, it's a game that, I mean, it took me a long time to come around on this. I think it was Fraser just sort of just to, to, to keep at it. There's a lot here, but you have to keep at it. I think the early mm -hmm. I think the early game really does kind of struggle a bit in trying to hold and keep your interest. Uh, but once you get you know three or four cities in and you start building a court, the that's more than like your brother Remus hates your guts. Yeah, I know. I've the, the, this is a <laughs> this is a story I'm familiar with. Thank you, game. Um, <laughs> Once you get beyond those early relationships of who hates who, um, then you start building interesting characters and diplomatic situations and you understand the map and you've played it a few times. 
there's a winning game here. There really is something interesting going on in Old World. Um, I think it could be a little bit better scaffolding, um, but there are some really great innovations in this game. The order system is great. Uh, I kind of wish the character stuff was highlighted a little bit more. Like, I'm not sure how far in it was. Probably, oh, I can click on their names and tell them to do things? What? Really? <laughs> That's kind of an important thing. Um, yeah. Uh, and no one tells you that. No one tells you these things. Um, but uh, there's a lot. There is some... And the, the it's important to use all the character filters and to, to use the interface. Click all the buttons uh, and explore. And explore the game. I mean, explore the map. There's not a huge... There. I wish there was a little bit more... Of, Variety between the civilizations. I mean, it's kind of mm-hmm. be careful what you be careful what you wish for because you don't want to have it so they're like endless legend like where they're so alien that <laughs> if you oh I can I, I I can win with this civilization not to go back to the idiot kindergarten level with this culture that plays completely <laughs> differently. Uh, I mean that's how endless yeah. legend works. So we don't want to. Yeah, go you don't want that anymore. in a historical game. We don't. I don't, we don't, I don't want that. I don't if... want that in a game at all. Uh, I don't want to have to learn the game <laughs> 10 different times. Oh, but, I really love it when games turn me into an idiot I, child I, after 100 yeah, hours. I, I wouldn't mind if they added some nomadic Scythians or something. Yeah, okay, we, we, we know we, what we, you're it, it, it would in be love with. A little more variety beyond. They get a couple of different units and they start with different techs. Once again, that's a very old school, like Civ 3, Civ 4 type of setup. Uh, so that's fine. Soren going back to uh, his strengths and his history, and that's a very standard way of doing things. But I've been kind of spoiled by having cultures that play, you know, mostly the same, but different in important ways. The way that, you know, Civ 5, Civ 6, I mean, I can't talk about the Paradox Grand Strategy games because of ethics. Uh, but the same. <laughs> we got a big, uh, big culture imagine, expansion imagine, coming out for one of them pretty soon. In, yeah, in, imagine that. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but we have. So it'd be nice if there's a little more distinction between who a Carthaginian and a Roman, uh, or a Persian and an Egyptian. Um, I think a little more variety there might be nice. If there is, you know, unique buildings, unique abilities, things, diplomatic actions they can take that others can't. A little more variety there might be nice. But in general, I think this is a, I think this is a strong game. I mean, it's it's something that I think people will need to play. Uh, if you're interested in humankind, before it comes out, take your pay some attention to this. Uh, put some mm-hmm. put some energy into old world. Because uh, then you'll see where humankind fits now. Because humankind was coming out. Oh, it's was just it's just humankind and Civ. Well, now we have now we have three games to talk about in this space, uh, and I think yeah. and I think they've all earned their place at the table. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I was actually not super hot on Old World at first, yeah. but si- similar to what you were talking about with with Fraser, be like you need to dig in a little bit more, which was. Also, very much the experience I had with with the Paradox games initially, um, I, I came around to liking it quite a bit. Yeah, and I would um, say that if you played this yeah. during its early access period and didn't like it very much, I would highly recommend going back to it. Oh, yeah. As, as much as I still have criticisms of the UI, it's a lot better than it was. <laughs> um, yeah, like the idea that you know, your, your, your cities kind of progress individually instead of having your whole Civ progress. Uh, was like one thing in my my notes here that we didn't really touch on much. But yeah, there's there's a lot of good ideas going on here. There's a lot of ways that it uh, calls back to previous eras of Forex and some things that I think maybe we should not have left behind in the dust. Um, I yeah, I've I've come to enjoy it quite a bit. I'm not sure how much I'll how much replayability I'll find that it has in comparison to Civ, just because it is kind of like, yeah, okay. If you've done a campaign as the Egyptians and you've done a campaign as the Greeks and you done one as the Romans and you kind of work your way through it, it kind of feels a little bit samey, maybe just because it's it's not such a broad scope of history. There aren't as many um, possible end states, maybe as there are in in other forex games. It's also a quicker game. It seems like it's built to be a quicker game. I don't think this was actually made to be a sieve killer. Uh, yeah. I think this was made to be very much its own thing and, and should be understood. In that yeah. Context. And if anything, it's um, it's a shorter, more complex game, which I right, right. might might be part of its appeal, I think, to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Um, yeah, so that's Old Worlds. Um, check it out if you're into historical 4X games. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Um, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network, and you can check out the discussion going on over the Idle Thumbs Idle Forums, not the Idle Thumbs Forums. We got to get our branding right. Um, uh, IdleThumbs.net uh, slash 3MA. Uh, as always, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you, where you can gain access to uh, what Rob still refers to as our super secret Discord server, even though we talk about it on every single episode. And uh, yeah, you can head on over to patreon.com slash 3MA if you would like to help out the show in that way. And uh, you can also find us over on Twitter at 3MA, or uh, as Rob always says, if you actually want to type out twitter.com slash 3ma like a boomer you you can still do that as well uh that's gonna be it for this week uh so for john and for troy this is len wishing you a good night <laughs>